All right, before we jump into our passage, we're going to start the way we always begin. Uh, before jumping into our passage, we're going to start with our young ones. We want our young ones in the service with us because we believe Jesus wants our young ones in the service with us. So, young ones, if I got to have your attention, I'm going to ask you all a question and tell you what the passage in the sermon is going to be about right here. Um, who here, young ones, who here would like to be in the future uh, the president of the United States? Anybody got that ambition? Anybody aiming big? No, no. How about this? Anybody want to be governor of Texas? No, that's okay. Anybody want to be mayor of Houston or go into politics? It's it would be a good thing. It would be this is what we're gonna learn. It would be a good thing because those are those are good things. We're in the book of Romans, and and the apostle Paul is going to tell us today that Christians need to respect our government. Romans 13.1, this is what he says. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So what, God is saying, what Paul's saying there is, God says we need to respect our president, we need to respect our politicians, we need to respect our police officers, those who have authority because government Law and order, that's God's idea. God invented it. God invented government for us. Uh, so God has actually put all those people all around the world, all throughout history, God has put those people in places of authority for his purposes. And so since God has done it, God says we need to respect them. That's what we're going to learn today. Uh, think of like kids, think of babysitters. Okay, when a babysitter comes, when the babysitter's on the way, what do your parents do? They pull you aside, and what do they tell you? What they, I think I heard it. Behave. Like, you better be good for the babysitter. Like, you listen to the babysitter. The babysitter is now in charge, okay? Listen to the babysitter. And, and, and so you're supposed to respect the babysitter. Show them, you know, listen to them. And when your parents get home, they don't want to find the babysitter tied up. What do they, like, what do they want to hear from the babysitter? Like, how are the kids? And they want to hear, they were so good. Oh, they were great. And because your parents want to hear that, because when you honor and respect your babysitter, you're really, really honoring your parents. Who told you to honor and respect the babysitter? Okay, it's like that. Kind of same with us in our government. We honor and we respect our government because our Lord has told us, hey, they're going to be in charge of some of your life, and I want you to honor and respect them. And so to do that is to love and respect, to listen to our government, honor our government, that's to respect Jesus. And this is, we're in with this. this, you know it can make it hard. You know it can make it hard to respect our government? <laughs> Probably like a lot of things. You know it can make it hard to respect our government? It's when we start to think that our government can really fix everything in the world. And we, we, start, we tend to do that. We're tempted to think that. like They can't. A lot of times we think, yeah, our government can fix everything that's wrong in the world. And we're tempted, even our government can talk like that sometimes, like they can fix everything in the world, but they can't. They, they can't fix sin. They can't fix all the evil in the world. Uh, they're supposed to make the world a safer place, they're supposed to help us live together in peace, but they can't beat sin. No government can beat sin. Only Jesus can. 
And one government actually put Jesus to death. And you know what? Jesus was still in charge. Jesus let that government put him to death because his death beats death. And his death beats our sin. And now our hope is one day Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, he's bringing the kingdom of heaven with him. And when he does, we're not going to live in a city anymore. We're going to live in a kingdom with our king, Jesus, who will have fixed everything. If that's your real hope, then you can respect your government and your authorities today in this life, which is what Jesus wants us to do. The first part, here we go, the first part of Romans was the gospel of what Jesus has accomplished. Uh, and, and that salvation that the Holy Spirit is now applying, working out in his people. And his people, Paul has been saying over and over, that includes Jews and Gentiles. And here's the, you know, and then we get to the so what, beginning in Romans 12. We come to, so what does it look like for Gentiles and Jews, for different peoples, to be the church? If you believe the gospel, you know, all this Romans 1 to 11 stuff, then you're going to live like this, Romans 12 and on. Well, now we come to Romans 13, and, and Paul's going to say, if you believe the gospel, then you Christians will live like this with the governments of the world. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only, to go, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. The word of the Lord. Please be seated such a fun one uh why does paul care so much about giving us this detailed understanding of government uh it's because a lot of the christians in the church in rome are jews they're they're jews who believe that they belong to a theocracy that they believe they they live in a kingdom governed by the mosaic law these are the jews that have come into the church and this is a theocracy where god reigned in the realm of of the promised land of Canaan. So God claimed Canaan as his specific location where he would dwell with his people on earth. So to Israel, Canaan was holy land. And God's appointed kings, you know, kings in the line of David, those were the rightful authorities for Israel, ruling in God's name according to God's law. Uh, And they're waiting, the Jews are waiting for their coming king. The king in the line of David, and that king comes. The king of kings, a king greater than David, Jesus. Jesus comes, and he goes. He comes, and he goes. And, and Paul has been saying that since the life and death and resurrection of Christ, that Mosaic law, that old covenant, well, that covenant, it's old now. That's the old covenant. And the theocracy is actually over. And now in this time, the people of God are no longer a theocratic nation. They're a family. They're a church. 
a sojourning people all over the world on their way to their true home, to what Canaan was always pointing to, the kingdom of heaven. And so whether or not they're asking it, Paul is answering this question that they should be asking. Okay, so who now is a legitimate ruler over God's people? And even the Gentiles in the church should be asking this question because what they're hearing now is Caesar is not Lord, Jesus is Lord. And Jesus is the only Lord, the only God. Uh, And Paul is writing this to Christians who live in Rome, perhaps the most idolatrous and the most mightiest government that has ever existed in the history of the world. And why should we care? Why should we care what Paul has to say about government here is because because Paul is very, very positive about the Roman government. And that's shocking. The the Roman leaders, I mean, we could just go off here. But uh, just in short, the Roman leaders were known for abuse, immorality, and idolatry. And yet Paul is very, very positive here. So positive about a powerful, corrupt government people today, throughout the history of the church, they don't like this passage. They don't like Romans 13. Many have, have done their best to avoid the plain meaning here, which is this, verse 1. Every person, including Christians, needs to be subject to the state authority because the state institution, it's God's creation. God created the state. Okay, verse 2, the authorities governing the state have been appointed by God. Okay, verse 3, by God's design, the state is an institution of justice, combating evil. Verse 4, therefore, the state is a servant of God, an avenger of God on earth. Verse 5, therefore, be subject to the state. Verse 6, that means pay your taxes to support these authorities over you who are ministers of God. Verse 7, and not just taxes, pay these authorities respect. Uh, and, and he's saying this about the same government that crucified Jesus, our Lord. So, why does he say this? How, how can he say this? Like, is this like, it's okay to have, like, wait, is this right? Like, is this true? Everything he's saying here. The answer is yes. Yes, he's right. It's true that government, the state, it's God's idea. It's God's invention. It's God's creation. The very, very first Old Testament book of Genesis tells us the story of the state, like where it came from. And it's, it's that you may not... Re- Here it is. The first two brothers in all of history, Cain and Abel, didn't go down well. The older brother Cain murders his younger brother Abel. Afterwards, God comes and he kicks Cain out of the family. And Cain complains. He complains to God. He complains that the other family members, either now or or sometime in the future, as the family grows and grows and grows, they're going to hunt Cain down and kill him for retribution for Abel. After he hears that he has murdered his brother. This is Cain's complaint. This is in Genesis 4. He says, God, you're exiling me out of the covenant community, and I don't have a chance on my own. Like, who's to stop the family from getting retribution? And God hears Cain's complaint, and God answers, no, that's not going to happen. That's not how this is going to go down. God is not going to allow, he's not going to authorize his institution of the family to enact capital punishment. 
on, on their own kin. So God sets up and he authorizes the state and he gives the state that authority for justice. So God, and God does this by he grants Cain uh, permission, the, the authority to establish the first city. Commentators, they, they say that God gives Cain the charter of the city or you the charter of the state, which the purpose is to maintain justice and order. And what God does is he promises. He, sa- he says to Cain, if anyone, uh, if anyone takes vengeance on Cain, Cain will be avenged to sevenfold by God himself. And then Cain goes and he builds the first city. So it's, it's crazy. The first murder in history will not devolve into anarchy with anyone killing anyone at any time. It's not going to be vigilante justice. It's not going to be law of the jungle. There's going to be an administration of justice. It's really incredible that the first city is built by Cain, who benefited from God, but is not a, he's not a follower of God. And this city is now going to be the place that is shared by believers and unbelievers. Mankind is not going to be abandoned to chaotic lawlessness in this fallen world. And as you read on, as you read on in this passage in Genesis 4, you read about Cain's descendants, and you read about the development of the city. And and what you're reading is that there are shared resources. As man works together, there's shared productivity, there's shared protection. There's a way for friendship between believers and unbelievers. And now there's, there's law and there's judicial punishment. There is that necessary negative aspect of the state that is that how the state punishes crime. These, the, these are all ways to temper the effects of, of the curse that comes upon mankind after the fall. The city was given by God to all mankind as a gift. It's a gift. It's a good thing. And one of those benefits of this gift, it's politics. And you may be like, yes, politics is actually a good thing. Politics is part of the gift of the city of God. The express purpose for politics is a means for believers and unbelievers to figure out how they're going to peacefully coexist and live in a community together. So, So let's just ask this. Democrats or Republicans, which one's the Christian party? It's a non sequitur, y'all. There is no, that, that, that's not, that's the wrong, neither is a Christian party. And, and there are plenty of believers in both parties. And there are pr- plenty of unbelievers in both parties and all the other parties. It, it, as in, you may have different views on immigration. Great, go vote your conscience. There's no one Christian view of immigration. There is no church view on immigration. Go vote your conscience. Uh, or don't vote your conscience and use your you know, right to abstain from voting. Uh, should we raise taxes or cut taxes? Go vote your conscience. And pay your taxes. And whoever your city officials, state officials, federal official authorities are, respect them as people who are made in the image of God. Respect them as servants who are only in their position. And I, I mean, whether we think they're there legitimately or illegitimately, guess what? ultimately they are there because God has put them there. That's the only reason they're there because it's in God's providence that they're there for as long as he wants them. He's put them there and he can take them out of there whenever he wants. Uh, Paul has already said early in Romans 9, he says, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, 
For this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. He says that about one of the most evil, corrupt leaders in the history of the world. Paul says, while those authorities are there, show respect. And this is what Paul means in verses 1 and 5 when he says, be subject to the governing authorities. I want to, what does that mean? I want to illustrate that with another passage that people really try to avoid because they're mutually edifying. Uh, in Ephesians 5, Paul tells wives that wives are supposed to, quote, submit to their husbands, for the husband is the head of the wife. Okay, the Greek word there for submit, uh, that's the exact same Greek word that's in thir- 13, Romans 13.1 and Romans 13.5. Be subject to. Same word. Okay, but that word, submit, be subject to, it does not mean obey. Like, like wives are supposed to obey their husband. Whatever their husbands say, wives are supposed to. That's not what Paul is saying. Husbands are not the boss of their wives. And Paul is not saying that when he says, you know, submit. He's not saying all women should submit to all men. No, he's talking about, he's specifically talking about marriage relationships. He's talking about husbands and wives. And the context of that is so key. What is Paul saying? Because you have to remember the awful Greek culture in which the church was born. Wives in that culture, they were treated like a subspecies. Like they were not actually human. A subspecies. They were inferior to men, inferior to their husbands. So wives were treated like property that their husbands could do whatever they wanted with. So it's extremely countercultural that Paul also says this in Ephesians 5. To the husbands, he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That is, husbands are supposed to love their wives sacrificially. That's what it means for husbands to be the head of the family. Husbands are supposed to put their wives first. Husbands are supposed to lay down their lives for their wives. They're supposed to lay down their desires, their dreams for their wives. And in that Greek culture, the world, when the Greek world heard that, they would have laughed at Christian husbands like they were a bunch of sappy weaklings for loving their wives sacrificially. Who does that? And that's why Paul tells Christian wives they need to be the ones who respect their husbands because no one else will. Uh, oh no well okay fun fun new printer and i've lost my notes thank goodness for technology here we go give me two seconds because this next point is really important (laughs) love technology gotta repent uh okay where were we uh okay Uh all right yes yes good good we're here we're here so it's extremely, yes, okay. This is one where I just wanted to read my notes, by the way. <sighs> Cannot go off the cuff on this passage. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, Christian wives, they need to be the ones who respect their husbands because no one else will. Why is this not working? Yeah, okay, wait, I'm getting there. Yep, mm-hmm. Because no, no, so that's what Paul means when he says, <laughs> that's what Paul means when he says, wives, submit to your husbands. That's what he, God, that was a cliffhanger, right? Okay, Uh, that's what he means. The word submit 
It's a term of respect. It's a term of respect, and it's in that sense that Christians, it's that sense that Christians are supposed to be subject to the state. It means respect, even when, so even when others are going to insult our authorities, insult our president, threaten our authorities, insult our police, threaten our police, we show respect. We're not anarchists. You know, peaceful protests? Yes, absolutely. What a right that is granted to us. Sure, but we don't promote riots. We do not promote violence. We obey the laws of the land. We recognize the authority of our authorities. It's legitimate. It's legitimate because the state is God's institution. Okay, now, that said, Paul also knows that the state is corrupt. He, he, he knows this. Like, the good institution of the state that is instituted by God, it actually gets perverted immediately right at the beginning because it is developed, it's given by God, and then it's developed by messed up people. So Cain ends up turning the city, he tries to, end up, he tries to turn into his own kingdom. So, so when you read Cain's line of descendants in Genesis 4 uh, and, and the development of the city, you're actually reading about Cain's dynasty. He's instituted a dynasty. And the story of Cain in Genesis 4, it climaxes uh, with Cain's descendant, this guy named Lamech. And Lamech is the first tyrannical king in history. And what we read, you read this, uh, this King Lamech, he's actually guilty of, of gross, uh, terrible sin on three fronts, and it's all revealed in this song that Lamech sings. As in uh, Genesis 4, 23 and 24, he says this to his wives. He's singing this song to his wives. He says, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. And you might think that's a terrible song. It is a terrible song, but for really, really profound reasons, it's a terrible song. Listen to this. Lamech is, first, he's despising the institution of the family, specifically marriage, because here he is, he's practicing bigamy. He's taken two wives. When we've been told one man will take one wife, not Lamech. Lamech is also despising the institution of the state, that God had set up for law and order. It's eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life, that's equitable justice. Lamech boasts of his own measure of justice. When he says this, no, not eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life. If someone bruises me, if someone insults me, I knock him off. I'll kill him. That's a tyrant. Lamech, worst of all, he despises the institution of the community of God when he goes after God himself. Lamech claims to be super God because God had promised to Cain that there would be an administration of justice in the city. Sevenfold justice. That's, that's, that's number symbolism stuff. That, that number seven, all throughout the Bible, it's complete, it's full. This is complete, full justice. Just justice. Lamech mocks God and he says, if the supposed creator was able to avenge himself and able to avenge Cain sevenfold. Like, what is that? I avenge myself 70 and sevenfold. So here, here's Lamech claiming to be super God. This, this, is, this is the height right there. That's the height of the perversion of the state. 
replacing God himself. This is what other parts of the Bible refer to as this antichrist syndrome. Paul has actually, in an earlier letter in 2 Thessalonians, Paul has written about the abuses of the state. And, and he talks about this man of lawlessness, this antichrist figure who is the head of the state, uh, the head of the state who exalts himself above God. We live, uh, we live in a similar moment to these Roman Christians. Uh, our state is not perfect. Our government is not perfect. It's corrupt. Yes, it is corrupt at, at every level. Sure, yes. And so being subject to the state and respecting our authorities it does, that does not mean, you know, be subject. That doesn't mean we obey in everything the state commands us to. There are times that we actually do have to oppose the state when it transgresses and it corrupts its God-given authority. So most basically, when the state commands us to disobey God, we have to disobey the, we have to disobey the state and obey God. When the state forbids us to obey God, we have to disobey the state and obey God. When we are told not to follow Jesus, we have to choose to follow Jesus over the state. When Rome said, hail Caesar as Lord, Christians said, no, Jesus is Lord. When the Roman state told the apostles and they told the church, don't preach the gospel, the church responded, we have to preach the gospel. The imagery that the New Testament, and amazing, awesome, uh, the Old Testament even predicts the Roman state in Daniel 4 explicitly. The New Testament and Old Testament refer to the empire of Rome as a beast. It's this, it's this you know, terrible imagery, a terrible monster. That's the imagery of the corrupt political state. And here's just, like, give you just a really, really obvious, obvious, we could... We give every single state as an example here of how in some form or another they're like this beast. But today, uh, t- totalitarianism would be an obvious, just obvious, obvious form of this beast. Uh, there, there was a guy back in the 20th century, uh, Mao Zedong, who founded the People's Republic of China. And he made the state officially atheist. You could not worship God. Christianity was outlawed. All allegiance, all allegiance was owed to Mao in China. Mao wrote a book, and it was used like the Bible. It was memorized. And people talked about how Mao's book helped them in times of trouble and distress and suffering. It, that's an, uh, that would be an obvious example. Uh, there are different degrees. There are different forms of state Um, uh, transgressing its authority today, persecution today all over the world, and your submission to the state, it's it's just going to depend on the state's demands of you. Uh, So let's just go back to politics real quick. Your politics cannot compromise your faith. Uh, Cannot compromise your love of God. Your politics cannot compromise your love of life or the life of others. How that all works out, uh, that actually can be quite complicated, but that is the nature of living in this fallen world, in this bestial yet legitimate state after the fall. Uh, the the, the city-state, we need to say this, the city-state, it is still a gift of God. It's corrupt, yes, but it's legitimate. So, what's... 
what's your, what is your reaction, good or bad, when you hear these words? Joe Biden, Donald Trump, Washington, D.C., debt ceiling, gun control, taxes, IRS, FBI, I mean, police, borders. I mean, whatever your reaction is, I mean, I think everybody is at some point, yeah. Uh, Christians, okay, whatever your reaction is, because Christians do not get to separate from the state. We, we expect the state, we have got to expect the state will be corrupt. Yes, it will transgress its God-given authority. Yes, and that means that we also need to expect the state is going to persecute the church. Yes, and when it does, we will respect the state. Even at times, we have to disobey the state in order to obey God. What Paul, what Paul does here, it's, it's shocking, beginning to end, is most shocking. All of this is most shocking because the beast state of Rome survived Jesus' first coming. I mean, part of the corruption of the state is that the state assumes it outlived Jesus. That, that, that the world does not need Jesus. That this world will go on and on and on and on forever and ever and ever and that the state is the answer to your every problem. That you owe your allegiance and you owe your love to the state. When, when Jesus first came, everyone thought he was going to deal the death blow to the Roman Empire. But did he? Didn't he? I mean, remember this. Jesus stands before Pilate. And Pilate is the Roman authority, and he is the Roman authority over Jesus. Pilate has the authority to sentence Jesus to death, and it's an evil choice. It is corruption of political power, but Pilate has the authority to do it. And, here, and here's Pilate, and, he, and he's talking to Jesus, and he's interrogating Jesus, and he wants an answer from Jesus, and Jesus isn't giving him one. And so Pilate threatens Jesus with his power and authority. John 19, Pilate said to Jesus, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And what does Jesus say? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. To the representative of the greatest power on earth, Jesus says, your authority to crucify me, I gave you that authority. Your power it serves my power. And in Jesus' life, and in his death, and in his resurrection to eternal life, Jesus has overcome all sin, all evil, all death, and he has provided the permanent solution to our suffering and to our death as he's opened the way to our true home. It's the city of God. So right now, we can, we can respect the state, and we can respect its legitimacy, even in the face of its corruption, when we don't confuse the city of man with the city of God. Christians, let me just say, Christians can, can seek to reform the state. We absolutely seek to reform the state as law-abiding citizens, yes, but know that this state, no state, will make this world right again. So even when the state usurps more authority for its own ends, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and render unto God what is God's. Don't fix false hopes in the city of man. 
because it is destined to perish. The city of man only offers temporary benefits, no eternal benefits. It is not our hope. The state does not destroy sin. Jesus does. The state does not usher in utopia. Jesus does. Some authorities, not all, but more and more will attempt to corrupt the city of man to serve its own purposes. But in the end, the state unwillingly still serves the purposes of God. And when it has finished serving that purpose, Jesus will return and he's going to put an end to the city. He's going to put an end to the city of man and he's going to usher in his eternal city. Other ones, leave here knowing you do not worship a dead savior. He is risen. And, and to that, don't we want to respond He is risen indeed. He is risen with all authority. In that hope, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of family, this wonderful institution you've given us since the beginning. Father, we thank you for uh, the gift of your church. Father, we thank you for the gift of the state. And Lord, we pray for our state. We pray that we would be a part of promoting peace in our state. Lord, that you would bless us to be law-abiding citizens. Lord, that you would bless us to, to respect those in authority over us even when we vehemently disagree with them. Lord, we pray that you would bless our authorities. Lord, with that common grace that they would make decisions not out of selfishness, but to honor that role that you have given them to promote peace in this world, to help believers, unbelievers peacefully coexist as the church continues to go about its mission of proclaiming the gospel of salvation that leads to the eternal city of God, our ultimate hope. Father, help us to be a small part of that. And and, and all of us, Lord, to repent where we need to repent. Lord, and to honor those that you put in authority over us because we want to honor you. Lord, we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.